The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Marshall Matters with me, Winston Marshall for The Spectator. Today I'm in Oslo and I have the privilege of speaking to North Korean defector, activist, author of the books, In Order to Live, A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom and While Time Remains, Yeonmi Park. Yeonmi, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, I've just read your book and Mm -hmm. this astonishing journey, and I know you've spoken about it a lot, Mm -hmm. from North Korea through China, saved by Christian ministries, taken to Mongolia, then to South Korea, then to America. And, (laughs) And now, I mean, from that astonishing start in North Korea and you you wrote about your father going to the gulag and the very grim experience of your fellow North Koreans and now in America but also I find you in Oslo speaking at the Oslo Freedom Forum and and it's rather a change. I I wondered how distant North Korea felt to you now looking back at it. Yeah I think in a way sometimes I hurt like having time to like connect it a lot of times it feels like I travel to a different universe yeah. or at least like different planet. Yeah. And first several years, I had a hard time to adjust to it. Uh-huh. And now it's been quite some time and I feel quite adjusted to the new environment, thankfully. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. Does it seem somewhat miraculous to you, your journey? Absolutely. It's unbelievable yeah. because there are 25 million North Koreans living in the country. Yeah. And a lot of them go to China, escape to China, and most of them trapped there. Yeah. They cannot get out of China. Uh-huh. And only about like 209 of us made it to America. 209? Yeah, over the last 80 years. Wow. So statistically, I don't know how lucky you have to be among the 25 million to go to America yeah. and even come to Oslo. Do you feel mm. a sort of responsibility in it, your life now? talking about North Korea, is that, do you feel a duty to talk about what's happening there? Yeah, I think in a way, the life that was given to me, especially after crossing that desert into Mongolia to be yeah. free, yeah. I was always thinking about there got to be a reason why I got saved. Yeah. And yeah, I, I really have this sense of inner purpose in my story. Yeah. And it gives me also a lot of hope, yeah. you know, what's possible. Like, my story cannot be possible in any way, logical sense. And that's why I'm hopeful for what can be possible for North Korean people who are remaining there. Does that trip across the desert, of all the things, is that Mm. the thing that was the the hardest? Is that, when you you mention it there, is that because that was the kind of nadir of of the escape? Yeah, I think nothing ever taught me more than that night, being on the desert. It, in a way, you know, even though the world just abandoned me. Mm. I was on the world alone. Mm. I was completely invisible from everybody else. Mm. And I think fighting for life, fighting for dignity, that's, it taught me so much about even gratitude, like that somebody knows me, Mm. you know, that somebody sees me. So, yeah. (laughs) When when you say somebody, who do you mean by that? Because in China, I had to be invisible. Uh I had to even breathing was like painful. Like people could not find me. If I were caught, they would send me back to North Korea. Uh It's like, in a way, the Anna Frank hiding in the house. Every little move is a danger, right? And then from there to going to Mongolia in the middle of desert, it felt like everybody abandoned me. You know, I was just alone fighting for my life. And now I'm here, people know my name. Yeah. I don't have to hide who I am. Mm. I don't need to look going on the street, seeing police, I don't have to run away. Yeah. And even saying my name was a danger in China. I could not say any word. We had to pretend a lot of times we were a, what is the thing that you don't know how to speak or? Uh, you didn't understand, you're, you're a foreigner that or? So a lot of North Koreans try to survive by yeah. acting crazy. So if they're in the bus, people ask who you are, you are then you cannot say who you are. Yeah. So they act like they are like mentally ill, yeah. literally. Or sometimes they cannot say, say anything worse. Or yeah. they, like, you know, or like deaf. Yeah. 
Uh, we pretend those things to yeah. survive. But they would recognize that you were Korean and not Chinese, right? Because our Chinese are not good. Your Chinese is not good, yeah. but also you're different people. That's you look. You would look different in China. Is that, or is there a Korean? Can, is there a Korean in population in that part of China? You can. I think you pull that off. Look, if you wear some of Chinese clothes, mm. but the, once you say a word, that's when you give all the clues. Okay. So you cannot say anything. I'd like to understand mm. North Korea a bit because it mm -hmm. seems to me, even after reading your, your book, it's not just another place. It seems like an, another time. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> for sure. And I, I guess there's one particular story in your book that, that stood out. And it was when, well, there's many, but mm. one of them, which was when Kim Jong-il died mm. and there was a mandatory mourning period. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to understand whether, and so people were sort of forced to grieve right. or told to grieve. Yeah. And I wondered whether there were people in North Korea, even amongst this sort of dire living conditions, who actually were grieving, who actually are sort of patriotic to mm. the, the dynasty in power there. And is North Korea full of people who actually hate it but can't say anything? Is everyone keeping quiet and not saying what they think? What's the, what's the dynamic? Is there a portion of each or is it won't swing one way? I think so. That's the thing. When I was there, uh, I saw two deaths of Kim, Kim Il-sung when I was really baby. And then second was Kim Jong-il's death yeah. when I was like almost grown person. Yeah. Uh, when the dictator dies, people do get shocked. Uh -huh. they, they think they are gods. Yeah. And even my mother was so, she's like a university educated woman. Yeah. Studied like you know chemistry, yeah. <laughs> science, and she thought how how does possibly God can die, uh, and she thought that was the end of the world orbit. That's yeah. how the end of the universe began for so her. So she was very sad about it. And yeah, and like in this period of they say like even sometimes three years of mourning or mm -hmm. three months of mourning, mm -hmm. that year mourning, they they put that phase, and if somebody laugh, and that's how you sent to concentration camp. Wow. It's just you cannot laugh entire that month and month period. And people do get sad genuinely. Yeah. It's a, do you think a lot mother of, was sad genuinely? Absolutely. She mourned so much. Yeah. And actually, Kim Jong-il died after I escaped to South Korea. Yeah. And I was shocked. Even though I was in living in freedom, uh -huh. I couldn't believe actually he died. Was, it shock, was there any sadness to it? Or was there a sort of... Was shock but happy? That, or was, what, what, shock was accompanied by what emotion? So, in a way, I believe that he was immortal. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't think that he would die. Mm -hmm. And then first you dying was like shock. And second was, you know, my happiest dream of North Korea when I was living there was in my dream I was meeting him. He huh. came to my town. I was meeting my dear leader. Huh. And that dream comforted me through a lot of hard times in my life, yeah. being in North Korea. So in a way, for me, at school, literally, my school teacher teaches, since we're tiny little like child, mm -hmm. they say the most important thing in your life is not your actual father. Uh -huh. The biological father is not important to you. Uh -huh. The most important person in your life is our dear leader. Uh -huh. So he was the most important person in my whole life. Yeah. And I think that's why the saddening was there. Yeah. But by then in South Korea, I understood that he was a dictator. Yeah. But in a way, the mind, like your brain and heart moves differently. Uh -huh. So whenever I see the picture of Kim Il-sung with like his beautiful portrait, yeah. and in, around it, like North Korean children and flowers, uh -huh. like my heart just like feels warm and respect. Wow. And then my brain kicks in like for a second later, that's a fake portrait. Yeah. It's a dictator brainwashing us. So that's such an interesting difference because you're obviously such an outspoken mm -hmm. critic of North Korea, perhaps the world's leading critic of mm -hmm. North Korea, and yet you had that inner sense of patriotism. And so do you think that the North Koreans, if that's generally held, is that what keeps the kind of communist totalitarianism together, that sort of deep patriotism? Is that what's keeping it somehow glued together? I think several things connecting it. Like one is really absolute fear and zero tolerance. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a Netflix series, I think, The Dictator's Handbook, uh -huh. and talking about different dictators and how North Korea is able to maintain it. Uh -huh. That is where you get zero tolerance, uh -huh. complete brutality. Yeah. You do not 
compromise in any single way. Mm -hmm. You just go for it, kill them all. Mm -hmm. Three generations, eight generations, get rid of every possible seed wow. that can resist the ideology. Wow. That is number one in North Korea. Like literally, recently North Korean regime sentenced two-year-old to concentration camp. Oh, what two-year-old can possibly do to deserve that? Be On what grounds? Because the parents of this child had the, owned the Bible. And North Korea is the number one nation that persecutes Christians. Yeah. So they would send a literally two-year-old to concentration camp. Wow. And of course, the three generations of that parents gone together. Wow. And I think this keeps North Korea in a way intact mm. because no, everybody knows they cannot rebel. It's old-fashioned Stalinism then. Yeah. yeah, but like a lot of countries, usually they lose that grip. They become soft and even mm. Libya, like if you see other dictatorships, they become softer eventually. Uh -huh. But North Korea was able to tire the fear every single time, bringing a more medieval time, yeah. dark age method, yeah. and they are willing to do that. You've mentioned the Christian mm -hmm. and the Bible being there, but you also talk about Kim Jong-un as, as a God figure. Yeah. What role does religion have in North Korea? Is there a religion that, or a metaphysic underneath Kim Jong-un? Right, so North Korea is a, the regime is a religion, uh -huh. right? They copy the religion. Uh -huh. So what's interesting about why they fear Christianity so much is that Kim Il-sung was raised in a Christian family. Mm. And Pyongyang used to be a very thriving Christian uh, time where there were a lot of missionaries came from the West. Mm. And then Kim Il-sung, when he became a dictator, he copied the Bible. He uh. copied the Ten Commandments. And he mm. said, I loved you so much. I'm giving you my son, Kim Jong-il. Uh. His body dies, but his spirit is with us all the time. Uh. That's how he knows our thoughts, what we think, and that's how people are even afraid to think. Wow. And because he copied the Bible, if people read the actual Bible that was written many thousands of years before him, yeah. we're going to know that he's the fake. Uh, that's why he fears the Christianity so much more. Uh, but there are no existence of any religion. Uh, they officially say they allow like, freedom of religion, but in reality, nobody can. We don't even know what religion means. Uh, we don't even have the word God they deleted that word in our dictionary. So people don't even understand the concept of believing in God. Wow. So how did the Bible that you described earlier mm -hmm. get into it? Are there Christians quietly working or, or, or you know, preaching or, or reading scripture in secret, in, in underground? Is there a Christian movement? So there's no movement whatsoever in North Korea. There are uh, 120,000 concentration camps. Like, so North Korea has different prison camps. Labor camp, where my father went, uh -huh. and then re-education camp is where more like one to five year prison. Uh -huh. And then concentration camp. Uh -huh. In concentration camp, you go with your entire generation of family go there. And you cannot come out. That's a death sentence. Usually you don't last even three months once you stand there. You die within three months. Wow. In this concentration camp, there are like more than 120,000 people right now inside, and 70,000 of them are Christians. Huh. So every single one of them have a faith, go to prison and die there. But the, these Bibles go through China. So as the, a lot of South Korean missionaries go to China and then find the smugglers and smuggle Bibles inside North Korea. Oh. And then people who get the book, they get executed and sent to prison camps. So the books are coming in without preachers. The books are coming in alone. So if there's not, you know, you receive a book like this mm -hmm. and there's not someone to tell you what the book is, mm -hmm. how do North Koreans interpret? Or is it part of a lot of books that are coming in? Yeah, so this is a thing where when North Koreans escape to China, the missionaries keep us safe in oh. their, like, something called safe houses, oh. underground. And we get trained to become Christians. And then the ones get really, truly converted, the ones who are willing to die for God's glory, uh -huh. they ask them sometimes, do you want to go back to North Korea, give your life to God, and preach the Bible to other people? Wow. So some people go back to North Korea to die for the gospel. Wow. And Those are the Christian martyrs then? Wow. Yes, they are the ones. And yeah. Thankfully, those Christians didn't ask us to do that. So we were able to go freedom. But sometimes they do ask, like, do you want to go back to North Korea and preach the gospel and then really die for God's glory? And some people do. Does any part of you want to go back to North Korea? 
when it's free, I mean, yeah. absolutely not. If I go back, I'm going to get executed yeah. right there. Yeah. Okay. So I just read recently that according to South Korean intelligence, mm-hmm. so it's, we can't be sure for certain that suicide rate is increasing in North Korea. Yeah. And they're saying a rate of 40%. And that to combat that, Kim Jong-un is, uh, is holding local authorities mm-hmm. accountable if the suicide rate goes up, they're to be punished yeah. for that. If the situation is so bleak and, and people are so desperate that they're killing themselves in, at such an increasing mm-hmm. rate, it sort of implies that there's a lot of people who would want to, a revolution or, or mm. the, I guess the other option would be revolution. Is there any possibility of that? Do you think there could be anything that could turn the regime over? So this is a, how different North Korea is from the rest of the world. I was listening to people coming from Ukraine and talking about how war is the worst thing can ever happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. It's true. Right now, war is a, the worst thing can ever happen to somebody, right, as an individual citizen. For North Korean people, that is the best thing can ever happen to them. War. Because in North Korea, if you, you commit a suicide, your family get punished. Yeah. The collective guilt. Right, that the official gets in North Korea, you are not an individual. Uh-huh. We are all part of group as yeah. a collective. So when the people in the past could not kill themselves because they were afraid, if I kill myself, I'm gonna put a pain on entire my generation and next generation and previous generation and even the in-laws get affected through uh-huh. marriage. Yeah. But now people get so desperate they cannot even think of other people, they just kill themselves. And the one thing I was constantly hearing from North Korean people is like, I wish war happened today. That was every day we were hoping for. Because even war, dying, like by just bullets, was better than putting that pain on our family members if we would kill ourselves. And Kim Jong-un's calling it a sin against socialism. So yeah. as well as him being the god of socialism, I guess, is the, is the scripture. Yeah. Are, are you taught Leninist, Marxist thought in schools? Mm. Is, is everyone educated in that philosophy. Right. In North Korea, are that in the schools, is that what everyone is taught? So initially they did teach the people Marxism, Leninism, yeah. you know, the communism. And then in the 1980s, they found their own ideology, something called the Zute, self-reliance ideology, where we only rely on ourselves. Because until Zute, the Marxism idea was the states take care of people. Uh-huh. Right? You surrender your property rights, your, your a lot of, you know, the individual that deserve, you give it to the state. Uh-huh. And for return, the state gonna give you free housing, free food, the job that you get, free school, all of it. Uh-huh. But then the regime realized they cannot do that to give it to people because they ran out of money, out of Soviet Union. Uh-huh. So they found this ideology where something called self-reliance. You cannot trade. You cannot own a property, you don't have any right, but you need to take care of yourself and you need to take care of the state. And that's why it just they flipped the story afterwards. Oh, I see. And now this idea of self-reliance where people, the regime don't take care of you, but you are forced to work for the regime for free, forced oh, labor. I see. And they just completely enslaved you. Uh-huh. Mm. There's an, another thing I've learned about mm-hmm. um, North Korea, and there's a, there's a writer, a, a British writer called Louise Perry, mm-hmm. uh, who actually I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing as well, but she wrote recently that uh, the ex- existential threat to South Korea is more urgent than for most countries, and this is on the topic of birth rates. Right. Total fertility rate in South Korea is 0.78, mm-hmm. and its population is 51 million, mm-hmm. which will likely decline to just 15 million by 2100. Yeah. Meanwhile, North Korea's population of 26 million is expected to drop only slightly to 23 million. Mm-hmm. In other words, South Korea's much poorer, much more authoritarian neighbour mm-hmm. is currently half its population size, but within the lifetimes of babies being born in Korea today, yeah. that balance will be upturned. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Do you think, how will that demographic change mm-hmm. affect the Korean peninsula? So, in a way, the, this fact shows a testament how North Korean women are so oppressed because we don't even know what condom is. Huh. It's, we are so poor 
Like we literally, I've never seen a trash can in my life because we had nothing to throw away. Uh-huh. We don't even know what shower is. Uh-huh. I've never seen a world mattress in my life. Uh-huh. We don't have like something called bed linen, you know. We are sleeping on the floor. We go to the river to take a bath and yeah. we don't take a bath in the winter time. Uh-huh. And North Korean regime, something called assigns marriages. So men goes to military, women have to go to military. And then when you done the, the military, assigns. of course, they say, this group marries that group, then they have to get married. It's not uh-huh. your, by your choice. And when you get married, because we don't know what the contraception is, it's not your choice to have your reproductive rights for you. Yeah. They have to produce a child for the regime. Oh my so you don't have a child for your family, that you reproduce and get married for the state's sake. Uh-huh. That's why people are, women are forced to give birth, uh-huh. even though in North Korea we don't have formula. So if the mother are malnourished and doesn't have a breast milk, children die in North Korea. Uh-huh. So many children die. And if the mother dies from childbirth, the baby was left alone. We have seen so many men like knocking the door. My wife died. Can you give some of your breast milk to my child? But if the mother gives a breast milk to somebody else, their child is going to starve. So like the biggest regret to this day my mom has is that they... She gave my birth to me, and somebody in the hospital, the woman did not have any breast milk because of malnutrition. So she gave her milk to that baby. And then when I was hungry, she didn't have any milk for me. And she was like, why? I cannot believe I've done that to you. Because the survivor is so hard. And this is why the North Korean women have children, not because there is more opportunity and the society is better. For comparison, South Korea, women have so much rights. Even though their society might eventually collapse, they still have the right to choose not to give birth. Sorry, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. The the reason why North Korean women have babies is not that they're choosing to. It's it's quite the opposite. They don't have a choice. No, they don't have a choice. The government assigns your marriage, you get married, you need to have a baby. And is there literally no support for mothers? What's the healthcare system like in in North Korea? Theoretically, it's a free health care, but there is no health care because the doctors are starving. Their average salary per month is not even a dollar. They cannot even eat themselves. So literally, a nurse uses one needle that is so thick and dull to every patient. There's no sanitation. They use a beer bottle as a drop. And they cut your bones without any anesthesia. And people don't die from cancer in North Korea because you don't last until that long. You just oh. die from ser- like mere infection and fever. Oh my goodness. So life expectancy is much lower than South Korea. Wow. What is life expectancy? It's really depending on the region. Oh. But like if my grandmother died before her 60, and people said, wow, she lived a really long time. Oh. And they were like, you don't need to grieve because she lived so long. Oh. And now I come here, people like in their 50s, they are like young yeah and it, my mother who was 36 they called her like grandmother from there on wow. and here i meet so many women at 36 hours not even married <laughs> in north korea they're grandmothers they start calling grandma wow yeah that's astonishing um how would you like to see things go in north korea like do you actually you know you're, you're here in oslo advocating for north korea but what do you actually in realistic terms think can change there so I have tried to work in the, for the last decade, you know, really solving the symptoms of the regime. We were like mass defection. The people go to China, like I was being sold, like mm. modern day slavery as sex toys to these people. Mm. And I was really trying to rescue those people. But eventually the root of the problem is the regime. Mm. But that regime exists because of Chinese support. Mm. If we do not change CCP's policy towards North Korea, we are not going to help these people. If we don't change China's policy to... They literally sponsor North Korean dictatorship. Mm. They run the dictatorship. Yeah, why do they want it? What's it in their benefit? Because China support North Korea. They, mm-hmm. Without China, North mm-hmm. Korea would crumble. Cannot exist. Right. So what's it in it from the point of view of the Chinese or the CCP? What do the CCP get from supporting North Korea? So there are several things. A, literally Mao sent his own son to Korean War and he died. That's much how Mao was investing in Korea. 
he mm. lost his own son there. Mm. The relationship that China describes with North Korea is like between the, your relationship with your lip and your teeth. If you don't have your lip, your teeth are going to have all the air comes in and it's, you cannot eat things. Mm. If you don't have teeth, of course, you cannot chew. So you, you cannot, like you die. So you need each other to survive. The reason is that China has a lot of independence movements within China. There are 56 different ethnicities. We met the Uyghurs. Yes. We met the Tibetans. Yes. There are so many people who do not identify themselves as a Han Chinese. Yes. The they, vast majority are Han Chinese. Right. But there are a lot of ethnicity that do not want to be part of China. Yes. So North Korea is a buffer zone. Mm. There is a South Korea down below, and there is Japan, and across the ocean, there is America. Mm. That wave of movement of democracy coming in mm. at their door. But North Korea keeps that, buffer it. So nobody in China can see across the river at night what we do, like why they have freedom, uh -huh. why those people have so much more prosperity than us. Uh -huh. So North Korea keeps that for them. And then the second one is a leverage stick against America. Uh -huh. Whenever North Korea tests missiles, where does America go to? They have to go to China to beg them to, like, North Korea to tire it down. Uh -huh. So it's a leverage stick against America. I see. And also the third one is like really North Korea make them look so much better, uh -huh. <laughs> the reputation wise. Yeah. The, as long as North Korea exists next door. Oh, so the Chinese people go, look, it, it could be worse. Yeah, it could be so much yeah. worse. Publicity wise, so much better. And also international society, North Korea is so bad, we're not going to much as focused on North Chinese human rights issues. Uh -huh. Right. When you describe the, the lips and the teeth, mm -hmm. uh, that, that sort of analogy, is that with reference to our communist brothers, or is, yeah. it, is it more ancient than that? Is, is it that they're the two communist states, or they are two communist states next to each other? Is that the depth of that relationship? So that was what Mao described to his own party, mm -hmm. why it's so important to defend North Korea. Uh -huh. They sent so many Chinese soldiers to die in the Korean War, fighting against America uh -huh. and the UN, right? In the international, like Western hemisphere, that came in the, during the Korean War, yeah. that we need each other to survive. Okay. We cannot survive without each other. Uh -huh. So, at our cost, we need to defend North Korea. I see. And we need to keep it as it is. Okay. So that's the analogy he gave it to the Communist Party members uh -huh. and told them why they, we need to die for North Korea eventually. And he sent his own son to die for it. Wow. What do you think the correct policy is? from, say, America towards North Korea. is There's the kind of uh, Dennis Rodman approach where he goes over and, and he's friends for life with Kim Jong-un. Or there's uh, Trump who made mm -hmm. a point of being, was he the first president to go to step foot into North Korea? Yeah. What would you like to see from the American regime in dealing with North Korea? I think America needs to be very strong. They need to understand their standing in the world that China needs America more than America needs China. Mm. America is a very unique country. They don't need other countries to survive. They have their own oil inside the country. They have such a big economy that they don't need other countries in a way, right? Mm. Even though so much happening in the world, America as it is, they mm. can survive, mm. right? They are on, unlike other countries. And China's economy is heavily uh, relied on export. And America is a huge partner in that. Mm -hmm. And if America stood up saying, we are not going to do trading with you, mm -hmm. if you do not control North Korea, like North Korea is developing a weapon that can destroy America eventually. Mm -hmm. They have already weapon that can reach mainland of America already. Mm -hmm. And in a way, like it's too big to fail. Like eventually North Korea's capability is so high. If we are already there, right, that North Korea capability is so high that they can completely destroy Japan and South Korea, Seoul. With That's, their nuclear weapons. Right. With their, mm. Even just without nuclear weapons, they have so many arsenals that they're going to destroy South Korea, especially Seoul, that mm. has like 15 million people living there. Mm -hmm. And I think because of America was so apologetic and would not stand their ground and do not call out China, and so many politicians... Because what is a government? What is a government? It's a collection of individuals who have so much their self-interest. Mm -hmm. And they have so many lobbyists and giving them, helping them to get elected. Uh -huh. And those people give them money and resources. These politicians, they have so many people who make money with China. Yeah. So these politicians, when they get elected, they go From to businesses. Congress. Yes. Yeah. 
they don't do the right thing. Mm. They do what's right for them. Mm. And I think this is the idea where like, somehow we think governments are better than individuals. Mm. They're somehow immortal bodies. Like they are just collection of selfish people mm-hmm. and did not make the right decisions to this point. Mm-hmm. And now North Korea is truly too big to fail. They have so much capability. We cannot just like Iraq, just go there, remove the dictator. Because mm-hmm. really we endanger like at least 50 million South Korean people, right, like an hour apart yeah. down there. I sort of take that answer to mean that America's policy to North Korea really is America's policy to China, yeah, primarily. Exactly. So are you concerned about China on the global scale? Very much. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just imagine what we went through the pandemic. Uh-huh. If they just came forth about clearly what was happening mm-hmm. and transparently, we could have saved so much people, world resources, and our time. Mm-hmm. And the damage they just caused, like we learned the threat of China through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And if that is just the beginning, mm-hmm. literally it's just the beginning. We have no idea what they're having, what's coming for us afterwards. And the fact that we don't hold China accountable, what was happening with the pandemic right now, mm-hmm. that's what's disturbing to me. Imagine this was the job of America. Mm-hmm. We caused this pandemic to the world. Mm-hmm. How they're gonna condemn us mm-hmm. so much till our grave. Mm-hmm. And nobody condemns China because they are all making money out of this evil regime. So it's a, I think that's the thing, just we continue to see that in America and everywhere, just people try to make the money for themselves mm. and don't do the right thing. If I can just go back one step, just mm-hmm. ask about North Korea, because you're on the board of the Human Rights Foundation. Mm-hmm. And in February yeah. this year, the Human Rights Foundation announced the, uh, a new North Korea program mm-hmm. where they were going to extract information to monitor what's going on within North Korea, yeah. as well as send in information to, uh, to try and... Uh, ideas about liberal democracy, mm-hmm. to try and maybe uh, change people's opinion from within. Yeah. Do you think that these are going to be effective means of actually changing North Korea? It is a very good alternative option if you, the governments, if the world uh, leaders not gonna step up and asking China to stop sponsoring the Russian regime. This is the best thing that civil society can do, because the, what that extracts information means that North Korean regime conducts so many illegal businesses to make money, mm. and with that money keeps the concentration camps, and that money is especially spending on building more nuclear weapons. Mm. That is threatening the entire humanity. Mm. It's a threat to humanity, really, what North Korea is building. Mm. So they are going to look for the information that how North Korea makes that money, mm. and we block them. And then North Korea is very scared, like evading sanctions, mm-hmm. and that's why we need to be even more scared than them to find out why that money going into the dictator's hand mm-hmm. and make it harder for him to get more resources to build more nukes. Mm. And that's going to be a battle, but it is a very important battle to have. You talk about nukes, and and Mm -hmm. do you really think that Kim Jong-un is foolish enough to actually start a nuclear war? And if he was, wouldn't the Chinese, wouldn't Xi Jinping say, don't you dare start a war? Do you think he would be so reckless? Are you actually concerned that he would use those weapons? So... Inside North Korea, when I was growing up, I, like, we were saying how brave our dear leader Kim Jong-il was. Mm. He literally said, there is no world without North Korea. There's no humanity mm. without North Korea. Mm. If he really can't, that means the regime, yeah. the Kim family. Yeah. Literally, if there is a moment comes that he feels like they cannot maintain their power, they're going to blow it up. I don't think they are capable yet to blow up the whole world. They will blow up Seoul for sure, and maybe some Japan, uh-huh. right? So but they're backed into a corner. You yeah, think that they would? They would, but until that point, I don't think they will because they're not stupid. They're very logical. They need a nuke because they want to continue the power. They maintain the status quo. Mm-hmm. They're using it not to destroy somebody. They try to protect their own regime. So that's why they want to get a bigger nuke, bigger because mm. that means they have more protection. Mm. That's why they keep building it. They put every resources. So basically, testing one nuke, the equivalent of money that feeding entire nation for an entire year. Mm. 
Kim Jong-un so far conducted more than 50 nuclear tests. Mm. If he did like four less of them, nobody had to die mm. entire time of his reign from starvation. Huh. But he would not do that. Huh. He put everything he has to testing more nukes and not feeding people. We talked earlier about the dire states of living conditions and life for mm -hmm. North Koreans and actually if the leaders are prepared mm -hmm. to tolerate such horrible conditions for his people, if the Supreme Leader is yeah. happy to tolerate that, then actually it's not that much of a leap for him to sacrifice the whole of North Korea, mm -hmm. I suppose. It actually reminds me of Fidel Castro's autobiography. Mm -hmm. It's actually written as an, as an interview, but he publishes this letter exchange and he says at one point start the nuclear war, the Cuban people were, mm. will be happy to sacrifice themselves for the communist revolution. And the Soviet Union's reaction was, whoa, Castro's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. He told Kennedy, hey, okay, we need to sort this out. Castro's he's gone loopy. And fortunately, we had him to calm mm. things down. So if Kim Jong-un is that crazy, might Z, and I've kind of already made this point, get him to just calm down? Is do you think he respects Xi Jinping enough that he would listen to him? He has to, mm -hmm. because China has all the keys. So basically how their attitude towards their own people. So in the 90s, when I was a toddler, just born, uh -huh. there was a mass starvation going around the country. Uh -huh. like millions were dying. And then the officials would literally go to Kim Jong-il. Like, dear leader, people are dying from starvation. What should he do? And he said he was laughing. Let them die. It's easy to do socialism when there are less of them. Mm. It's wow. easy to control people when there are less people. Huh. That's why this Marxist ideology hates people. Yeah. This anti-human sentiment. And they mm. think humans are poison. Mm. So hard to control. They don't want us, that mm. many of us, to control. Mm. So that's why he was literally laughing. It's like, let them die. It's mm. a good thing for us to control them. And basically their policy is there's a 10% living in Pyongyang, the capital, mm -hmm. the royal class, that regime wants those people only, right? Mm. So until the 90% of the population dies off, we are not going to do a thing about it. Wow. So that's their policy. Their tolerance stops when there's 90% dies off. They're going to only willing to fight for that 10% of the core group that supports the regime. Yeah. Wow. And so you've now mm -hmm. come to live in America, live in the West, and uh, you have been writing in your most recent book, while time remains, it's critical of the West. And it reminds me a little bit of mm -hmm. when Alexander Solzhenitsyn left the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. He was expelled in 1974, eventually settling in America, in Connecticut. And he did a tour of universities and, and did these great speeches, which are collected in a book called A Warning to the West. Now, oh. Solzhenitsyn could have been embraced as the, a hero, an American, right. sort of a Russian who turning against the Russian mm -hmm. regime and instead, he went to America and criticized America. Right. He criticized their shortcomings where he felt they were failing their own people. And it's yeah. astonishing essays to read, uh, speeches to read. But it reminds me a little bit of your time. You've come to America and, and now you're criticizing a turn to authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. what, what can you tell me about um, that authoritarianism that you, that you see in the West? Yeah, I think that's very interesting because for me, Socialism or Marxism is not a theory that I'm reading in a nice library with air conditioning yeah. on. It literally was my daily life. I knew how that was actually panned out in reality, yeah. not as a just nice theory in a textbook. Uh -huh. And when I come to America, there are so many people who want that theory. They worship that theory yeah. and they hate America. Anti-freedom, anti-America is so deep-rooted in American like leftist minds uh -huh. that they hate America to guts. Literally in the university professor says that the only solution for all these problems is dismantling American system, uh -huh. destroying America, yeah. destroying Western civilization yeah. as we know it. And the alternative they wanted is not even something different. What we have tried, the Marxism, collectivism, uh -huh. socialism, the yeah. same ideology that destroyed every single time it was tried. Yeah. I think that's why it's so scary how humans are so dumb, keep repeating the same mistake. Do you have any observations about why these ideas that, that you know to be ludicrous yeah. and actually are evil, yeah. like communism is popular in some quarters and socialism is very popular in, 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 yeah. in, in the West. Why is it that you think that they are popular? Do you think that comes from 
a sort of, I don't know, a nihilistic, a bad, poor education or lack of experience? What, is it a different type of indoctrination? What, what have you perceived that that is rooted in? This is a lot of what you just said, like bad education, lack of experience of real world, mm. and perspective, therefore. Mm -hmm. And of course, the brainwashing, the mass indoctrination begins in public school in, in America. Mm -hmm. But why also then the first place that began, right? I think it's got to be something in a human nature uh -huh. that wants to be taken care of. Uh -huh with something greater than themselves because humans are so vulnerable. Yeah, Think about it, you, like us as an individual, we are so vulnerable. Uh -huh. So many little things, things can easily kill us. Yeah. Even so many things can go wrong. Uh -huh. And I think humans desire that protection. Yeah. And I think in the past, we had a religion where we somehow believed that there is a beautiful, amazing, loving God sitting in the heaven. Yeah making sure that we are safe, yeah. that we are provided, and that gave us comfort, uh -huh. even though that was a lot of times a tool, tool to control people. Yeah. But it at least gave us comfort mm. that things are going to be okay. Even if we die, there is going to be heaven waiting for us. Mm. In every religion, they all have this sentiment of going to great place after death, giving you that comfort. Because mm. otherwise, if you don't believe that life meaningless, mm. so sad. Like mm. you work so hard and that's the end. You become a dust, you become nothing, right? Mm. And then as a society becomes more uh, secular, mm. we need to fill that void with mm. something. Mm. And usually they want to fill that void with the government mm. that feels strong. Mm. They have so much and they can take care of me. They mm. can make sure that I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be taken care of in the hospital. I'm going to get a good education mm. and we're going to have a house to live in. And it's a dream. Mm. And it's in a way so sad. Mm. You know, humans are lonely. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a real thing. So it's, it's part of this, mm. you think, part of the, the death of God. You know, you talk about secularism. It is. Do you think America or the West, I and mean, certainly in my country, in yeah. Britain, uh, Christianity is now a minority of the population. Mm -hmm. Is that the void that's, that you notice is the, maybe the root of the issue? Yeah, I think it's a... I became a mother mm -hmm. in freedom, and until that point, I was atheist. I hated dogma to my guts. I hated, like, why nothing, if logically, if I cannot see, I don't believe it. Because uh. that's what North Korean regime was. It was a dogma that controlling us. And then I hated every religion. I was like, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any people. I thought the religious people are the most dangerous people in the world. Uh -huh. And then when I became a mother, I would start praying. Really? Because I wanted my child to be safe. Ah. There's nothing I can do to protect him. Ah. And when I was pregnant, I was reading my pregnancy book, there are a million things can go wrong <laughs> with his development. Yeah. You're so helpless. Yeah. And the only place that I could comfort was praying. Ah, I, like, I hope there is a God that's taking care of my child. I hope there is a God yeah. that's going to make sure that he's going to have a happy life. Uh -huh. And that's the thing, like, that's when I realized, oh, that's why people are religious. Yeah. Because it's a comfort that you get, uh -huh. right? And because life is so hard, genuinely uh -huh. hard. It's a dangerous place to be, even even in Chicago. Especially in Chicago, yeah, you in know. Chicago. I, that time I lived in Chicago, uh -huh. now I'm in New York. Uh -huh. And I think that's why I was realizing for the first time why people need a religion. Uh -huh. It doesn't have to be a Christian God or a Buddhist God. It could be something that you find, a, you know, that comfort in. Yeah. And it's so sad when they fill that gap, they fill that void with the government. Because yeah. governments are literally the collection of selfish people, mm -hmm. liars sitting in and saying that they are benevolent, yeah. which they are not. Well, they're not just filling it with government, they're also there's various new ideologies, <laughs> trans ideology, a lot of wokeism mm -hmm. seems to be a sort of surrogate religion to yeah. fill that that god that that god-faced vacuum mm -hmm. um has your prayer taken you to a specific religion or an organized religion i think no i send my son to a even buddhist temple i, I love to go to a place where i can be humble and just pray uh -huh. if we baptize him in catholic church uh -huh. he goes to catholic church but it's not really like about what sector it is at the moment uh -huh. I think this is a thing when I heard from uh, Dr. Peterson uh -huh. in uh, 12 Words for Life. Yeah, okay. You know, like I live 
life as if God exists. Yeah. If, as if God is alive. Because if it is, it's a good thing probably. Mm. But even if it isn't, it's good to conduct your life mm. as if God is there, mm. who has a moral figure, who teaches you got to love your neighbor yeah. and forgive other people. Yeah. And I think that's when I realized that religion doesn't have to be that I see God every day. Yeah. That you should live your life as God is real. Uh-huh. And it life becomes so much, I think, in my case, it made my life way more peaceful. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because then I don't have to be too much anxious. Yeah. And, well, that hurt me, at least. So we go to churches and... How old is your child? He's five and a half. He's five and a half. Yeah, he's starting pre-K this year. <laughs> and, and is this faith, is it helping you to in, in build a, a moral compass for him? Are you, are you yeah. referring to scripture or, or your, whether it's Buddhism or Christianity in order to help him form a moral uh, structure? Yeah, because it's a, in a way that what scares me about America is a... They say like, oh, America has too much freedom. I don't like it. I don't think it's the problem is having too much freedom. When you read going back to American founding fathers, when they built the country, they said, freedom without virtue, or in other words, discipline, is anarchy. Mm-hmm. Freedom needs virtue mm-hmm. and discipline. Mm-hmm. And now what we see in America is anarchy because mm-hmm. they lost that discipline and virtue mm-hmm. back then the scripture provide that virtue to the people. Yeah. And that's how America was became birth to this humanity and became this beacon of hope. Yeah. Now in America, you're free so you can shoot yourself up with the heroin. Uh-huh. Because you're free, you cut off your body part, that's fine. Uh-huh. Because you're free, you can do all of this. There's yeah. no right and wrong. Yeah. And there's no place to get that virtue and discipline come from. Uh-huh. And I think that's when I realized my child needs this yeah. because I don't want him to become an anarchist and think yeah. that he can destroy his body yeah. and just conduct his life however he fears, uh-huh. not with a purpose, but just however you feel at the moment. Because yeah. American culture is all about enjoying yourself, mm-hmm. all of uh, living in the moment, yeah. not about building your legacy and having a purposeful life. Just live in the moment, have fun. Yeah. We've talked a little about the problems coming from the left in America, mm-hmm. and I wondered if you had insight into the failings of capitalism, if, yeah. whether you, you think that the right are making mistakes, the conservatives are in error. And, and that's, again, that's what Solzhenitsyn was really criticizing. He wasn't really criticizing the left in America, he was yeah. criticizing the capitalistic right. I do think that joining of the corporation and government, especially like this time we saw, before Elon Musk took over, you know, Twitter, Facebook, they were all working with the American government. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge mistake mm-hmm. in democracy. Yeah. You know, this corporation has so much power yeah. and government has so much power. When they unite, yeah. there's nothing can stop them. Yeah. And I do really think there is a danger to capitalism. Yeah. And but this is a thing where like when I ask them, oh, what's the problem with capitalism? They usually give the example of inequality. Uh-huh. Right? Like that's the reason why Catherine is so evil because there's a homeless person and because there's a billionaire. Uh-huh. It's not fair. Uh-huh. But to me, that's not a problem why I have a problem with capitalism because the sign of inequality is a sign of progress to North Korean person. Because uh-huh. in North Korea, do you know what happens if you want to become a homeless? What happens? They send you to prison camp. Uh-huh. You have no right not to work. Uh-huh. The fact that there is a homeless to me is a sign of freedom. The individuals literally can choose not be responsible. And uh-huh. you should choose not doing nothing productive, right? Uh-huh. Just want to be on the street laying down and smoking pot and shooting themselves with like drugs. Uh-huh. It's not the state fair them. In a way, the self, they fear themselves. And I don't blame it. A lot of times they have a mental illness and situation is not right. Yeah. But that is not because the capitalism is evil. Because there's so much tolerance that unlike dictatorships, they don't put them in a prison camp uh-huh. and rape them and torture them and make them work in the forced labor camp. So relatively, obviously, Mm -hmm. you could say it's better, but it's still not a good thing. It's not a good thing, but I don't think that perfect society is possible Mm. because we're born with different capability. Like, I'm a mother. Mm -hmm. It was so random what kind of child I'm going to get, what kind of intellectual capability I'm going to have, what kind of temper he's going to have, what kind of health he's going to have, right? And as a society, we cannot take care of everybody. 
Mm. It's not a perfect paradise. Shouldn't we aspire to? That is a, usually a path to hell to me because we should not aspire to a perfect society. However, society that has a responsibility for yourself and your how make your bed, mm. taking care of your health, mm. and then if you took care of your body and your health and your mental care, then you can take care of your family members, mm. then your community. It shouldn't be. Or as a society, a goal to make sure that everybody's not failing. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very compassionate ideology that is so trickable because it sounds like so amazing. Mm -hmm. It's so sad seeing people on the street and suffering, especially in the cold and in the heat. Mm -hmm. But whenever we try to fix them all individually, I think that's when we really getting into we need then big government mm -hmm. who can control every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think, where the dilemma begins. Because people really generally begin with a good intention. Mm -hmm. But then who do we want them to solve that problem? The government. Mm -hmm. Are they good at solving problems? Of course not. They create more problems than solving it. But that doesn't mean one shouldn't try and solve those problems at all. As individually, as a civil society, uh -huh. you can join a church, you can join a community service. Uh -huh. If your passion is homeless problem, you can do it as an individual civil society. Uh -huh. It shouldn't be government forcing to tax you uh -huh. and then try to create an industry or people making money because there's homeless people. So through social enterprise rather than through government? Yes. Would always I think that. I really believe that we have a responsibility to take care of everybody else. Mm -hmm. It'd be an amazing world if we all took that responsibility. But it shouldn't yeah. be forced by government. Uh -huh. They shouldn't be taxing all of us because they want to take care of because they always fail. We have tried. Do you know how much the San Francisco spend on each homeless person? Mm -hmm. They fail. Yeah. They create more problems than actually not. Uh -huh. And I think this is where conservatives and left in a conflict. Yeah. Nobody denied that that's bad. Uh -huh. Nobody denied that. But how to solve it, I think it comes down to difference. Right? Okay. Like I would rather I choose to do it, uh -huh. and I will join the organization myself, like joining HRF or other organizations to do it, then hoping the government officers are going to fix that problem yeah. for them. You mentioned earlier that your concern with big government and big tech yeah. and, the, and the sort of revolving door between them, and actually mm -hmm. that was Italian fascism. It, right. That is the definition of fascism, yeah. is government and big business in cahoots working... China too. In China, yeah. yeah. And, and so the crony capitalism. Crony capitalism, yeah. exactly. And how significant an issue do you think that is? Is that something that you're concerned about? I'm very concerned about that. Uh, I, I really saw the power in these corporations and then government when mm -hmm. they work together because nothing can stop them. Google is more powerful than a lot of governments in the world already. Uh -huh. And when they work with the US government, how do we stop them? Uh -huh. And I think that's why the freedom of speech was a real under threat. Uh -huh. Not because uh, just of some one yeah. individual corporation thought you cannot say this word. Yeah. This corporation is so powerful yeah. beyond the nation, a lot of nations. And then they work with the government to decide what is true and what is not. Yeah. And I think that is a danger of capitalism, and, but that is not a true really capitalism, it's a chronic capitalism. Yeah. And I think we need to fight whenever we see that, uh -huh. when they gain too much power, there's no check and balances. Uh -huh and break them apart. And it's going to be harder and harder because they're going to have more power over time. Yeah. And government's going to have more power. They grow so much already. Yeah. And it's going to be harder to resist. It's very striking to hear you as a North Korean mm -hmm. concerned about free speech in the West. Have you experienced any impingement on your personal free speech? Because you know, you're going around, you, you seem like someone whose speech is very much free. And, yeah. and, and have you felt the impact of censorship at all in, in, in the West, not in, in mm -hmm. North Korea? So, well, where do we begin? I need to write a lot of book on that. <laughs> <laughs> I am still shadow banned even You're after banned, Elon Musk took over Twitter. Really? Yes. And what, what for? Do you know? No, I don't know. <laughs> even I just like a, you know, take a picture of a strawberry and post it. It's like a sensitive content because it's coming from me. Really? Yes. And I am, of course, shadow band. I don't have a, you know, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel that has like now 1.1 million people following me. Uh -huh. As soon as I created a China and support the Second Amendment, that that video get blocked, demonetized and get censored. 
So I don't have a freedom of speech on Google. And of course, on Instagram, they put me in a jail. Temporarily, I get charo banned, and if I behave, I come out of the jail. You know, it's like punishment system. And you think that's for criticizing China? China, and of course, criticizing some transgender ideology, where I criticize that, you know, people who are not men, like Uh which is women. Why would you not use the word women? Like people who have period. Women have period. And they say I'm a transphobic person because I believe that women have period because they think men can have too. So this kind of, you know, speech gets me in trouble, but not only through these tech companies. I was canceled by corporations like Samsung, electronic US company, not the South Korean one. I was canceled. What did they do? They scheduled my talk and they said my political opinions are not aligning with their values. So they cancelled me. You think that was to do with trans? No, I think it was more China China because Uh they had a huge investment in China. Uh And I was talking about the horrible corruption the Chinese government committing. So that was China because of that. Uh Because China, I mean, they had a literally two billion investment in Shenzhen. Uh And I was criticizing Chinese role in committing this crime against humanity. Against the Uyghurs. Yeah, Yeah. and North Koreans, Tibetans, and so many, even their own citizens, the Han Chinese get oppressed by their own regime, Uh right? Chinese are not free. Even Han Chinese are not free. They are under the government's control. And then I was literally canceled by FBI. Uh They invited me to speak. And then two days literally before my event, the head of diversity calls me. What to do with the head of, head of diversity? They said, your political opinions do not align with our values, so we have to cancel your speech. Your what opinions? Puerto Rico? My political opinions. Political, okay, really? Wow. And then, do you know what's funny about it? I became American last year, and in my f- American citizenship, the lady asked me, have you ever persecuted anybody for their political opinion? If I said yes, I could not have become American. So they don't even know what it means to be American because they never took American citizenship test. In America, people cannot get punished for their political opinion. And these organizations like FBI, all the big tech companies and corporations punish people because of their political opinions. Wow. That's astonishing. And it do, is. do you think we need to sort of change the FBI? I mean, that's very, a very deep-rooted that's governmental. I mean, it's, there are parallels with North Korea. It feels drastic to say it because of yeah. how awful North Korea is. But do you think things are, have any chance of getting better in, in America? Or is it, you live there, is it a, a, a country divided? Mm. Or do you think that its core values of, of free speech are not, can eventually unite everyone again? Is, are you hopeful for America? So that's the thing. In a way, they did not earn their freedom. The people who were born in America, they were born to it because they were lucky. Nobody chose their birthplace, right? And I fought for my freedom. In a way, I was like, when they were censoring me, we need to strip their citizenship away and send them to North Korea, uh-huh. right? Like, it just makes no sense. But that's a joke, really. Like, we cannot do that. Uh-huh. I do think that's why we need the freedom of speech. We need to give people to have a voice so they can speak these opinions and tell people that what it means to be American, Uh what it means to be in the Constitution, that what is protected under law. But these organizations, you know, any country is, uh, they can fall into tyranny. Uh America is not immune to it. Uh It, Britain is not immune to it. Every country is possibly can become like North Korea. the FBI persecuting somebody for their political opinion is a spectrum of North Korea, right? North Korea is a 10. They literally execute you, uh-huh. along with three generations of your family. Uh-huh. America is somewhere in the middle, right? So, the, in the middle, for sure. Like, you can lose your job uh-huh. if you have a wrong political opinion in America. Uh-huh. You lose your dignity. They character assassinate you. They literally, yeah. on Twitter, if you go, they say, I'm a liar, I'm a CIA spy. You think called a CIA spy? Yeah, of course. Huh. That's the first thing. It's like I'm a like American imperialist. Who's I'm a race. All the people, the Marxist people, all the professors. Yeah. yeah, or like even in the European countries huh. that who hates American imperialism. I don't think America has imperialism right now, but they say America is an imperialist country, and I support that. Therefore, uh-huh. I'm a CIA spy. Yeah. On a personal level, mm-hmm. when you have the world attacking you, yeah, how do you? deal with that? How do you cope with that? That must be a tremendous burden. It is. It's a, some days it's harder and some days it's easier. 
It's like a back and forth, you know. It's a, but I did not know quite how many people were sympathetic to the idea of equity, which is a collectivism. Uh-huh. And when you criticize equity, you sound like such a horrible, compassionate, like heartless person. Yeah. But like, they are equity means let's give everybody equal opportunity and equality of outcomes. Yeah. And then like, that's impossible. You cannot see the same result, yeah. right? Even people from North Korea, we all have different results in the society. Yeah. Not because American system is intolerant, because we all had a different capability yeah. to come here. Yeah. And we made a different result. Yeah. It's impossible to government to fix that. Yeah. And people really hate me for that, especially yeah. people on the left. And even some Democrats think that's evil, that uh-huh. I want to fight against equality of outcomes. Huh. And it's a hard. It's like literally during the pandemic, I criticized the mask mandate for two years old. Uh-huh. You know, the ones that does not even know how to w- run quite well, yeah. they have to put this mask eight hours a day. And the children who cannot speak for themselves, we don't even know the, what the wrong term effect on them, uh-huh. not seeing human face and expression in that yeah. such an important crucial year. Yeah. And where all these rich people go to private island and have parties without masks. Yeah, yeah. We can afford that children, like, I have to work, I need to put him in a daycare yeah. where he needs to wear the mask. And what was then, your punishment for criticizing the mask? And of course, I get like censored, all of that, but not only that, like, literally, uh, he had a playgroup and one of the moms saw it and then told their nanny, do not play with my son huh. because of my political views. Wow. Do not play with my own. So it's like, this is North Korea. Like, you don't punish family members because of one person commits such a certain crime. It's like a, you know, the collective guilt. Yeah. Guilt by association. Yeah. Because my son is associated to me, he's responsible for my crime. Yeah. And that's what the communists do. Do you think we're in a state of hysteria in the West? Have things calmed down since pandemic hysteria? No, not in New York. Really? I live in New York. I mean, you remember recently the Jordan Neely who yeah. died in subway who was convicted 40 times already? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they were just raiding the subways in Times Square and it was bad. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know how people became this uncivil. Uh-huh. So uncivilized. You know, you talk about equity and it's, it's really a, a, a war of words. Mm-hmm. And it's, it reminds me immediately of, of North Korea, the People's Democratic Republic of North Korea. Oh, yeah. China too. It's not the People's Republic of China. Not, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 the whole thing's, it's a manipulation. It's a, it is. A, yeah, a word game. The disguise in a concept like safe space. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. It's definitely not safe. <laughs> if you say one wrong thing, hurt somebody's feelings, you get persecuted. <laughs> we are inclusive environment. Definitely not inclusive. Yeah. Complete opposite. Subversion of this meaning, of word. Mm, you know? Exactly. And I think that's what's scary because in communist countries, a lot of times you don't know what that means anymore. Mm. Meaning got so inverted and the governments really hide the meaning of the words. Yeah. And now in America, when you hear the safe space, like, of course, you got to oh, dangerous space now. Yeah. <laughs> it's inclusive space. Oh, definitely this not inclusive state at all. Yeah. Wow. And America becomes like that now. On a uh, more positive mm-hmm. note, before we started recording, we briefly talked about uh, Jordan Peterson. You, you mentioned him. Yeah. And he did the forward for your recent book. Yes. And I understand he's been a great supporter of, yes. of yours. How mm-hmm. important is he to you as a, as a figure and as a, as a friend? I think in a way, like, I lost my father so early. And I think I couldn't get those wisdom and father's guidance uh-huh. a lot. And I think when I read his book, I don't know why they say like, he speaks to poor, uneducated white men. <laughs> he spoke so much to me. <laughs> that book became such a treasure of my life. Yeah. And it taught me how to be a parent, yeah. how to discipline my child. He talks about, right? Yeah. And if you don't teach them to be good until four, nobody's going to like your children. Yeah. It's not a favor to them because they're going to suffer. Uh-huh. Why you need to discipline your kids so people are going to like them. Yeah. And they get, they get positive reinforcement. Yeah. America teaches a different idea. Is that you cannot hurt their feelings. Don't say no to your children. Yeah. They literally have this new pregnancy where if you want to change your infant diaper, you need to ask their consent. Uh-huh. Like, infant cannot talk, but like, they still need to give you consent. Now that's why they say two-year-old can decide their gender, right? Yeah. That's how they've gone so far. Yeah. And when you read the Dr. Pierce book, of course, it's like, 
that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. So it it means so much to me, and it's it really I cannot believe he can he supports my work. Uh, well, to continue the positive, mm. and, and and I ask uh, a final question, which I hope will have a positive answer, is that mm. you fled North Korea, mm -hmm. and but we've talked a little bit about the problems you're facing mm -hmm. in America. Yeah. Will you be fleeing? The U.S. or is there enough of freedom and enough uh, concept there of uh, a, f a positive future that you think you want to spend your future there? Because interestingly, that the world is so connected that, like to me, in a way, America is the last hope. Not because they're like Norway is amazing, Denmark is amazing. It's not in that way because America was an experiment, right? Yeah. The nation was not united by. The skin color, yeah. or religion, or the history—just the idea yeah. that individuals are created equal. Uh -huh. We all deserve the rights to bear arms and freedom of speech. Believing in this one paper of document, the Constitution—if you believe in, you're American. Uh -huh. Doesn't matter where you're born, where you're from, what you were doing in the past. If you believe in, you get a new start, uh -huh. the opportunity of this land. Uh -huh. It was an experiment, yeah. and it succeeded it. Now it's questionable what they're going towards too. Yeah. And that's why I think I believe in American dream. Uh -huh. And I really believe that this idea where we were created equal and we have an opportunity, equality of opportunities, not the outcomes. Yeah. And then Americans can achieve amazing things. Uh -huh. Look what America has achieved. Land of immigration. The immigrants came from such a poor countries, fleeing the tyranny. Yeah. They came. I mean, they created airplanes. I mm. mean, motion pictures. I mean, Tesla. Literally now, yeah. they're creating rockets. I yeah, mean, they're taking us to Mars. Yes, I mean, and the Soviets did too. But America created way more. They things. didn't get us to Mars. Yes, yeah, sure. yes. And I think that's why I believe in America. And I'm not gonna leave this time because when I was in North Korea, what saddened to me was like I did not know that I was oppressed. Mm. And if you don't know you're a slave, how do you fight to be free? Yeah. And at least in America, we know that what's going on. Yeah. We know something is wrong. Uh -huh. And I think that's why I see hope. Wonderful. Not because there's problems, because we know there is a problem that exists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, on that note, Yonmi Park, an absolute pleasure to speak thank to you. Thank you. It's so such much. an honor. Yeah, thank honor you. Mine, uh, thank you. And I'm sure watchers and listeners will have found that fascinating. Thank you so much. <laughs>